Hello everyone, welcome to episode 7 of Under the Spotlight. Thanks for the feedback in the previous episode and thank you for downloading this one. Before we begin, I'd love to hear from you and your thoughts after the episode. If you'd like to give feedback, please DM me at Hugh Burgess on Twitter. If you'd also like to support the show, you can head over to paypal.me forward slash Hugh Burgess Germany. This episode may contain profanity. I'm Hugh Burgess. You're listening to Under the Spotlight, Episode 7. My guest this month is multi-instrumentalist Oshin Morris from the band Proofreading Your Mind. A German musician based in Hamburg with Irish roots, his daytime job couldn't be more different to his nightly musical endeavours. Working as a judge, Oshin often crosses paths with those suffering mental and physical trauma, which, as he says, is channeled into his music as a sort of processing for him to get through the heavier days. Forming a band in 2014, he joins Tamo Ballantyne on drums, Ben Christian on bass and second guitarist Cesar Osorio, and after nearly 50 gigs together, they release their first album, Not Even Tryin', in January 2019. The first four tracks of that album will feature in this episode. We talk about his background and musical journey with some interesting discoveries along the way. After we finished the episode, we spoke for another hour or so about our mutual love of boxing and even managed to have a little jam on one of his many guitars. This episode was recorded in his apartment with professional microphones courtesy of Oshin, so you'll notice a distinct change in the quality from the go. Ladies and gents, Oshin. your your guitars and your music kicking around is this your studio well it's other people have bedroom studios and i have a living room studio this uh i just have everything at home yeah so as people can't see this can you describe what what, what we're sitting around okay we're sitting at uh, my sitting room table and behind me in the ikea um, um shelf i have uh, monitor speakers and when at night i'm uh, I want to mix something. I shift this table out of the middle of the room, um, uh, put it right straight against the IKEA um, uh, thing, and um, that's where I set up uh, another computer, which is behind you. Then and then I start uh, mixing stuff here at night. Or if you uh, turn over there, that's where my guitar pedal board is. And then at night, I often just uh, play a little bit. This is sort of um, for me. It's the music room when I have the room to myself. <laughs> How often do you have it to yourself? Well, basically every night because uh, I have two kids, but at some stage they do go to bed and uh, my wife is mostly a little bit more tired than I am. So sometime in the night I have uh, this room to myself. You got that golden time. Yeah. Okay. And how did you get to this point in your life? You were saying about your professional job. How did you, how did it lead you into the music or was the music there before? Music, the music was there long before. I grew up in a very... 
a musical family. My family's Irish. My parents are Irish. Um, they uh, met in Ireland and uh, uh, they uh, got together and they decided to go abroad. And they didn't want to go to Australia or England or America for whatever anybody else did. They wanted to go to Europe. And so they decided to spend a year abroad in Germany which is what they're still doing. Um, oh, they're still here? <laughs> they're still here. They had more kids. They had my big sister at that time. And um, but then there's more kids. There's my uh, me and my two other brothers, so we're four. And they were, we were all born in Germany. Big sister was born in Ireland. And um, so they got to know each other through music, actually. Irish music, classical uh, uh, folk uh, session. That's how they uh, knew each other. They also uh, did music together. And of course, the, the Germans, uh, they loved it. Irish folk in the 80s, and uh, they played a lot of concerts. We kids uh, joined uh, in singing and with instruments. My uh, big sister, she plays uh, the concert flute, and she joined in. And so, yeah, since you weren't here that time in Germany, um, the, you know, there is a German-Irish uh, family called the Kelly family. And they oh, had like them, yeah. about uh, 25 kids. That's was probably 10, but they had a, um, <coughs> they were very large family and they always played in shopping precincts in Germany and so on. Later then, I think in the 90s, they became very successful and they actually played sort of big venues and, uh, and then they were out a little bit and now they're... I often regarded uh, ourselves as a kind of a Kelly family uh, because we were Irish and we uh, played music and sometimes there was actually sort of uh, m uh, several kids and their parents on stage. So um, that's the musical background. My father... Uh, is a, a guitar teacher or he used to um, teach guitar in a music school and um, we used to do these concerts together so I grew up there was always music there were always concerts there were stages I went on stage as a kid and sang and so on then I learned um, uh, we all learned instruments I learned piano first of all for a long time and um, classical piano and it's sort of I liked it in some way, but often it was also quite a drag because just in retrospect, I knew what it was. I was never into classical music. I was into pop music. And at, I think, 14, my father um, asked me um, um, after he had seen me um, in a holiday in Ireland um, uh, playing the guitar, but actually playing the bass line to sting music, which I loved. I just, a um, bit of an all-time favorite. And uh, so I thought of myself, wow, bass, that's, uh, that looks good. I pictured myself with an electric bass uh, hanging around my player. neck. And that, that was sounded your dream. great. That was, uh, no, it hadn't been till then, but then suddenly I thought, this is it. This is my chance. <laughs> and uh, so I picked up the bass at 14. And from there on, uh, uh, I often say then it was it wasn't like you know beforehand you know the way parents are <clears throat> and they do say well you haven't played piano lately sort of maybe you should practice sometime today or something or you should you know it's not worth it if you don't practice and from then on it was different with the bass because it was always Ashin look you've played for about three hours solid now can you maybe stop just for an hour <laughs> or something all right because that's when uh, uh it, it was intrinsic from there on huh? and i immediately founded a band with friends uh, and since i always used to sing i was then also sort of the singer and front man and started writing songs and so on just the teenage stuff that you come up with 
And so since then, I've been always in, in bands. I had considered at some stage um, doing something with music, but um, then I decided against it because um, uh, I, um, I, I sort of felt um, with, um, with what I had, I, I was no good of a pianist. As a bass player, I, I was probably quite good, but I didn't um, want to sort of um, end up playing, you know, studying what rock, pop, jazz as a bass player and being able to play... Um, you go ahead and play Autumn Leaves in the key of B flat yeah. or something like that, and you have to do it then. I thought, no, I, I don't want to do that. Uh, um, it's not really what I want. So I decided, then I thought about, you know, audio engineering or something like that. I uh, knew somebody um, who was an audio engineer, and when I was a kid, I looked up to him because he was a fabulous drummer and he was a fabulous guitarist. And so I heard he ended up in a, tone, uh, in a, in a studio as a recording engineer, and I also went with him uh once to watch his work as a live uh mixer and so on and then i asked him sort of yeah and you know what about music now and he looked at me and said you know what uh i don't really play guitar anymore if you come home after 12 hours of recording a shanty choir in the studio the last thing you're going to do is pick up your guitar play drums and i said oh and internally i knew thank you for that information you've ruined that career for me and i'm very thankful for it because <laughs> This is what I want to enjoy music, so I know I can't pursue this as a career. Right. And f from there on, I uh, decided to keep things uh, separate. I was quite a reasonable bass player as a teenager, but I was a bad guitarist, but I loved it anyway. Mm -hmm. And uh, I felt it's a kind of a luxury to be able to, you know, um, play a solo and you haven't got a clue what you're doing there, but you know it sounds good because it sounds good and uh, that's the way I, w I wanted to keep it that's the way I liked it who was that that gave you the life-changing advice well as I say it was a guy I knew from my hometown and mm. he was a little bit older and um, yeah um, I knew him sort of as a kid I once saw him playing drums and I play I saw him playing some electric guitar and I thought it was mind-boggling you know the way you see somebody and think oh my god he's just brilliant you know and then later you meet him and you notice that he's um, he seems to, although he's working with music, so living the dream, he seems to have, uh, um, yeah, uh, lost all interest um, uh, in, in music itself. Yeah, you should never meet your idols. Yeah. I, uh, I remember seeing Bon Iver, mm -hmm. um, and the show was amazing. I was near the front, I was singing all the lyrics, and I remember them doing their encore and then standing ovation at the end and they all give sort of thanks so much like this and walked off stage and I immediately ran outside, ran around the corner and asked the bouncer, I was like, do you know where, do you know where they're coming out? I just want to say hello and thanks and maybe get an autograph. And he was like, oh, I'm not supposed to tell you this boy, but uh, they're coming out the side in about 25 minutes. And I was like, oh, brilliant. So I went around, quietly waited there, didn't make a noise or anything. More people came out and they saw me standing there. A woman came over, what's going on? And I was like, oh, I'm just waiting on a mate. And All right. And then, oh, who's your mate? And <laughs> you're standing very near that backstage door there. And then a crowd inevitably started building up. And then Justin Vernon came out, my idol, my yeah. absolute idol at the time. It was like 2000 and 2013, I think that was. And he was already established since 2008 with his, his breakout album. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I saw was like the drummer came out, the bass came out, everyone's screaming, Justin, Justin. Justin came out with his hood up and he walked in the opposite direction to go and have a smoke. Mm -hmm. And I just remember him walking away, just shaking his head. And it was like, 
you know, we, we waited for you, we're here for you. We just want to say hello. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, it's not that kind of creepy, like, give us your time or anything. It was, it was more just him shaking his head, walking away. I was like, uh, something really weird about that stuck mm-hmm. with me. But then as you get to know these people more, like, I heard he had pretty bad anxiety or something. He yeah. hated the, the celebrity what would that be, the celebrity uh, facade that kind of came with the, the, whole, the whole fame thing? So tell me about the first song that you want to play on this episode. What's it called? Tell me a bit about it. Okay, the first song is um, also the first song on our EP. We call the EP uh, Not Even Trying after the last song on the EP. And this is the, the first song and um, it's called Riot Girl. It resulted um, uh, from the times that the G tw- uh, G20 summit came to Hamburg and all the um, havoc caused, all the riots here and, you know, knowing that Trump's in town and actually probably flying over our house because we always saw these American helico- uh, Navy helicopters flying to the airport uh, and so wow. on. And I used to tell the kids, look, that might be Trump up there. Oh my God. <laughs> it, was, it was so surreal. The whole uh, scene, for example, outside on the street, um, there was a traffic blockage uh, just outside on the main road here mm. for something like five hours and the people uh, couldn't go anywhere and they started getting out of their cars. They started going into bars, buying a beer and putting it on the roof of their cars uh, and just drinking a beer because the traffic wasn't moving anywhere. And everything was sort of um, unreal. And then there was, you know, riots and there was violence and there was, uh, yeah, demonstrators um, uh, going all mad. Obviously, the police also going all mad. And um, uh, and in the midst of this, I came up with a kind of a... Um, unrealistic little love story about somebody um, sort of, yeah, uh, first line is I fell in love with a riot girl um, um, and um, it's it's not meant so serious, you know, but it's about, um, that it, That was the spark, um, all the incidents and um, uh, in and around what we had here in Hamburg uh, at that time. Uh, it's a strange song to start off because it's one, one of the only sort of uh, love songs that there is. My, I've uh, talked to you on other occasion maybe or um, that uh, funnily most of my songs evolve around death and uh, murder and uh, suicide and uh, other things like that but this is uh, sort of more or less a love song Come 
So how did uh, Proofreading Your Mind come about? Tell me about that. Uh, Is this a current project or your finale project? I started uh, to get back sort of in my teens. I had my first band. We were rock trio. And then... What um, were you called? We were called Lithium, like <laughs> the, the the butter soft metal. And right. it was also an antidepressant for um, bipolar disorders. Okay. Um, um, and then I also, at the same time, I played a friend of mine who um, we're still close, and he he had a death metal band, or actually, well, with gothic influences. Uh, but his girlfriend was singing and playing the violin, and uh, they uh, their keyboarder had left them, and he knew that I was a pianist, and um, and he asked me if I could play with them, you know. And so for a while, I actually played in, in, in a sort of a gothic metal band, which was very um, uh, funny and uh, some experience. But And then I had a few side projects and so on. But then when I started studying that sort of um, for a while, I, I didn't. And then um, while I was studying in the in East Germany um, uh, for a while, um, I, I spent uh, two, the year 2000 to 2007 in East Germany. I wanted to join a band because I thought this is going to be easier. And so at that uh, stage I've shifted over from being a bass player to a guitarist um, just by the fact that I chose uh, I met a band that was looking for a guitarist if I had met a band that had been looking for a bass player 
I would have um, done that as well. But they were looking for a guitarist, and I thought, yeah, I can do this. I couldn't, but um, I sort of tried to grow into it. And um, but then after I left um, East Germany, and um, then there was a time um, where I didn't have bands anymore. And what I did is I did home recording. I just started buying. Uh, I bought yeah this microphone that's uh, that you're talking into. I bought that somewhere secondhand off eBay, and I bought myself an interface for the computer, and I started figuring out how to use audio software. And I had uh, got the loan of proper mics from friends and stuff and I started programming you know drum programming and uh, and uh, I spend a lot of time doing that I also spend uh, quite some time uh, for example with a friend's um, groove box you know one of these drum computers with um, programmable um, sequences and stuff and so I did a lot of electronic music as well because I was also into that and it was easier to express yourself musically at home in my bedroom at that time, um, sort of uh, just recording something for yourself than trying to assemble a band from scratch with no songs or mm-hmm. uh, no rehearsal room or something like that. So uh, for a while it became a recording project and um, uh, I, st- I actually set up a MySpace um, site some time uh, and then I had to find a name and for some reason I came up with this um, play on words um, with the phrase um, reading your mind but sort of proofreading your mind and uh, I didn't think it was great I still don't think it's great but I stuck with it anyway was yeah. that was that purely uh, some, a spin in the moment or was that a long time coming those words no uh, I, I think it was um, pretty spontaneous I had to think of uh, it was probably I can't remember it was probably because I had to put in a name for MySpace uh, right. because I um, started to, I just wanted to you know, the way at some stage when you're in your bedroom, you want to get stuff out of your bedroom. And that time MySpace was sort of big and I thought, well, OK, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put it up and tell a few friends, hey, I got a song up. When I came to Hamburg uh, in um, 2010, um, again, first of all, I was too involved um, my job and so on. But after a while, I started looking um, uh, for a band to join and it did, just didn't work out. It didn't, I found a band, but they didn't like me or I found others and I didn't like them. I went sort of back into my, in this case, then sitting room, just home recording and stuff. But, um, beforehand there had been one, um, change in that, uh, band which I had in East Germany. I was just the guitarist and backup singer and we had German lyrics because we had a girl singing and she had fabulous German lyrics um, and uh, I wasn't the songwriter basically. I just um, sort of helped with the songwriting but um, uh, somewhere before, I, just before I came to Hamburg um, I had um, I had, had suffered sort of a kind of <laughs> musical writer's block and, uh, and it also mainly had to do with the lyrics because um, uh, when we were growing up here in Germany everybody wanted to um, do English uh, music yeah to conform uh, yeah um, mm-hmm. later that changed uh, and at some stage um, I also thought it's so ridiculous uh, here I am uh, a boy going to a German school um, playing in a uh, in a band with his German friends and we're we're having a concert somewhere in a German youth club and we're saying uh, you know Denise's song heist um you know, and then you come up with the English title, and because um, it, it seems so ridiculous, you know, what are you trying to hide? Is it the fact that you have no proper lyrics? Yeah, and that's what it is mostly, you know. And um, so, at some stage, I was convinced 
um, you should also do German lyrics, but it just didn't work for me. I just yeah. couldn't do it. But that mm-hmm. led to a kind of, okay, then you're not writing songs anymore at all because um, there's no point in doing English lyrics for your German friends <laughs> or for German audiences. So just don't do it. But at some point um, I decided, um, uh, and it was the internet more or less, that helped me get the clue um, um, saying, hey, it's okay if you write in, in English because this uh, I, I grew up bilingually. My parents spoke English to me. Uh, to me. I had uh, German in school and stuff. And our siblings, we did speak um, German. But English was my native tongue and it was much easier, of course, to write lyrics now, for obvious reasons because all the music I listened to was English. And so... Uh, when I came uh, uh, around the idea that I said, it's not for my friends, it's for the internet. I can upload it and I can tell, for example, uh, all my Irish cousins uh, whom I was friendly with and so on, hey, look, I have a song, I uh, send you the link. Um, That sort of said, okay, it's okay not to write German lyrics, it's okay to just write. And that's when um, I wrote the first... Uh, song. It happened after playing at a friend's, uh, or actually he's a cousin uh, of mine, uh, once removed. He lives here in Hamburg. And uh, after playing a few covers at his party, and I came back and was all enthusiastic about actually writing a song and recording, and not the way I used to do, you know, one song and months and months of messing around and another uh, 18th guitar track uh, somewhere in the production and here another bit of keys. No, I wanted to record something, write something, record something and finish it, let it go. And I did that with that first song um, uh, and it just worked for once. I didn't have to um, uh, work on it for weeks and months. It just came out and within more or less 24 hours I had it written recorded and finished and that was sort of the start of it all and that's when I wanted to get this song up and so on and um, uh, from then on I started writing more songs and then to jump back a little bit later into Hamburg and so on not finding a band that I could join with um, I um, I had seen uh, a movie um, in the Abaton, which you know, um, the, the lovely cinema we have here, and it's uh, it was the follow-up uh, movement, uh, a movie um, to that famous Irish movie Once with Glenn oh, Hansard yeah, the starring mm-hmm. exactly, and it was the follow-up one, which had um, about <laughs> what's, it, what's it called? Can a song save your life? Okay, uh, I think it's Keira Knightley uh, starring, and I don't know who it's a bit cheesy yeah right. um but um it's basically about again sort of musicians once um uh, is a fabulous story about musicians and what m- music uh, means and so on and um glenn hansard who stars uh, in it is uh, one of my all-time favorites uh, as well he's just a fabulous irish singer songwriter mm. and uh, and singer and everything it's a bit cheesy but uh, nonetheless i came out of the cinema and said i'm gonna try and find people to play music with me and I'm just going to ask sort of would you like to play my songs with me I'm not going to try and join a band mm. I'm going to try and start my own thing from scratch because that's what it's about in the movie you know well, let's start a band this kind of um, thing find people that share your passion exactly and yeah. just go and look for it you know and I thought it's a little bit you know it's a bit arrogant to sort of come up and say these are my songs and I want you to play it and so on first of all I found it a bit hard this idea but uh, I just found people I found my bass player very soon and uh, my drummer and uh, they like my songs and they say well let's just do this and we did and uh, and I just 
since I had this project running, which I had called Proofreading Your Mind, I sort of said, well, it's, this, it's, it's the same thing. Um, so um, it's more or less turned into a band then in the last five years. We're pretty much uh, together now, five years. And uh, yeah, but it's sort of still my, my baby. I write the songs and it's, it's not a, a band where every, everybody contributes uh, evenly. I just, I come up with the songs and the lyrics and so on. And then we work on it together. Uh, mm. But in the end, it's still sort of uh, my songs. And that's why sometimes uh, I also uh, play on my own. I, for mm. example, then... Uh, uh, go uh, to the pony bar and and just show up my, with my guitar and just play on my own. I, I also like doing that. I think we, uh, I share a similar belief with you. Like when you make when you write a song, you don't want anyone to touch it. You know, you don't want anyone to edit it or move it around. And I remember this teacher saying to me when we were studying, um, I think it was journalism or something in uni uh, as a part of the course. Thanks very much. Um, he was saying, you have to kill your babies, you know? Oh, are you going to get the recording? I'm not on the toilet. I'm just pouring a cup of tea. No, it's not. I've now got that. Thanks. <laughs> I've got that down. I can put that in as like a little... And then... Um, yeah, to, to when... Or when you're rehearsing for a performance, when you can never really rehearse... 100% of a performance, it's always going to be something you can add to, but you can overdo a rehearsal. And then when it's out there, you can't touch it. It's, it's gone. Yeah. It's not yours anymore. Yeah. Tell me about your second choice of song for this episode. <clears throat> I think we'll just go with the track list of that EP of ours, um, because um, then I don't have to look it up either. I know um, that the second song is uh, Talk, Talk, um, uh, with a comma in between. Um, Does the comma have a meaning? Um, well, that's just because it's in the line, because it's uh, talk, talk, talk to me, my friend. And um, this is not a boy-girl uh, song. Um, it's sort of, um, um, it's about, um, uh, you know, silences as an act of cruelty in a, in, a, in a close relationship. But as I say, not in a love relationship, but like your best friend, you know. Imagine you, your best friend sort of saying, uh, just cutting it out. And um, I think millennials call that ghosting. Yeah, but it's, yeah, it is, has something to do with it, but it doesn't know, that I don't know where he is. Um, I know where he is, but he just won't talk. Yeah. And um, yeah, and that, uh, that song is uh, sort of, a, um, uh, has a more serious tone and it's about this, uh, uh, this um, thing, yeah, it's about friendship or um, how hard it is if, something like that uh, comes between two friends that you think fuck how can we sort of undo this how can we get back can we please get back Right. I gave you every reason 
To start a fight I broke your trust And I lied With all due respect I think I paid the price Talk, talk Talk to me, my friend Break your silence And let this end Please I'm in need Accepted all the punishment That I deserve Now I'm scared Cause I was not prepared That you totally refuse to ever talk to me again After we fell out I fell into the darkest hole That I've ever been in And there I cut my skin Until the drops of blood They trickle to the floor Enough's enough The blood is proof that this is not a blood Oh, talk, talk to me, my friend Break your silence and I promise that I'll never I'll never do that again And I'll always, always, always be your friend saying about um finding people you became very self-conscious about what are people going to think about you thought you, i think you said you were arrogant to yeah. do that I, I so many musicians have the same feeling they yeah. think i'm not good enough or yeah. i can't do this or, and that's usually the critical thing that stops people creating yeah. um but i think that's really impressive that you went out and you found people that share your your passion you know, the, f- the first five people you, s- you spend most of your time with really affect who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, you were saying about your writer's block as well. I was actually watching a video about Sting. Uh, have you seen it at the TED Talk? 
that he did? No, I didn't. Because you said you like Sting. I thought that's pretty relevant. He I actually was, love him. You love him. I, I Yeah, I've got, I've got back into him in recent years. He did, you know, he's from... Um, Newcastle. Oh God. Okay, Newcastle, right. So he has got back to his Newcastle accent in his writing. Yeah. And he grew Gordy, up in the no? shipyards and that, yeah. yeah. And he's got this beautiful song called uh, When the Last Ship Sails, I think Exactly. It is. That's his uh, album, which he um, made just sort of about Newcastle. It's basically a kind of a, a musical. He turned it into a musical as oh, well. right. But the album is a little bit like a musical as well. Because he said that he was writing all these songs and he was successful and he was getting everywhere, getting all these awards. And then he dried up and that writer's block turned into mm-hmm. months, into years. Mm-hmm. And then he started writing about other people mm-hmm. and he started creating characters and the writing came back. Mm-hmm. So I think when he stopped thinking about songs about himself and mm-hmm. started thinking about songs about other people, that's when the music came back to him. Yeah. Is that a similar kind of release of writer's block for you when you when you decided to move your... Um, your narrative away from things you were thinking about to things that were happening to you? Um, I don't, uh, I wasn't in a similar situation because I was never famous. (laughs) Um, uh, But it is comparable. It it just, it was a kind of a writer's block because I used to, um, or to put it up front, uh, I always have struggled far more with the lyrics than with the music. I have uh, so many unfinished som- song ideas. I could uh, publish a double album every week <laughs> with yeah. with them. But they're unfinished and uh, the lyrics are always the hardest. Um, and uh, I struggle with them. That's And sometimes that's the way a song sort of just never um, is released into the ether. Uh, even my, my band never hears them then because they, I just... I can't uh, find a proper idea. I work on it and so on, but it just doesn't uh, materialize. And then the song idea dies and goes back into that box with all the other songs that <laughs> never made it uh, beyond some other stage. And um, I can't, rem- I, I, um, I think for me, it was more the language thing and the relevance thing. Still thinking you shouldn't, you should write in German because this is you know, what it's for. And I think once I freed myself from that, uh, it wasn't so much about what I was writing. I think that was then irrelevant for me. It was just do something and just let it out. And that's mm-hmm. what I've noticed. Um, uh, I just noticed uh, I do have that drive. There, the, the songs are there, the melodies are there, and they want to get out. And first of all, they want to get out into your bedroom and into your sitting room. Then they want to get out maybe to your friends, uh, but they actually want to get out on stage as well and they want to get into the internet. Mm. And then later they wanted to get up on Spotify. Mm. <laughs> That's um, There is a drive there to just bloody well let it out because it, it needs to get out, you know. And were you, you were initially letting it out for the sake of the internet. Was that Did that turn into letting it out because you would sing it anyway? You said that you would sing your music... <clears throat> on your own sometimes was that it sounds like you transitioned from being a performer for the people for being a performer because you're a performer no it's more i think with what you mentioned a while ago um when something is published it's not yours anymore Mm -hmm. you can't change it and if you don't come to that point especially if you're into sort of music production and so on 
you will never finish up. There's always an additional guitar track that you can add. And there's always a slight bit of reverb or an effect there. And we can um, enhance this and that. And just don't start even talking about mixing uh, just while you're recording, first of all. It never ends unless yeah. you say it has to end. Yeah. And with that first song um, that, we rec- uh, that, I, that I recorded... Um, I just said, I'm not doing this. There are, there are just two guitars. Maybe there's two, three guitars. But everything was sort of simplified. There's a main guitar and there's a second guitar. Hmm. And there's a bass. And I had a drum machine in that thing because that's what I felt like it. I wanted sort of a synthetic uh, beat in it. Uh, no reels in that uh, thing. And I had just um, the vocal track. And then I think maybe at the end I put a bit of a second voice over the dub. But and normally also I'm sort of, I was always, oh, let's put some reverb on it, you know, smooth things out. Ah, now it sounds great. Um, and in this song, it's dead dry. There's no reverb. It's really dry. The guitars had no reverb. It was just in your face. And it was so different to it's what raw. I used to do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was raw, uh, definitely. And um, when I listen to it now, um, you know, I think, okay, the, the singing wasn't great, but I see what you're trying to get at. It's, it's okay, you know. But it's actually so good that um, for our next EP, we re-recorded it because... It's funny, but although it's the oldest song, I still like playing it. Uh, the boys still like playing it. And so it's actually uh, going to end up on our next uh, EP because uh, normally as you write more and more and more songs, the older songs often you're sort of, yeah, but that's an old song, you know. But uh, sometimes it isn't. They are just there and you just still like them or love them, actually. And so this is one of those songs. It was, uh, um, we still like it. We like to play it. It goes down well. And um, that's why it, it didn't die out. Sort of. Are you promoting this EP just now? Uh, no. <laughs> is it still in the works? It is still in the works, yes. Mm. Yeah. I can promote the one that's out already. <laughs> okay, okay. What, can you tell us what that EP is going to be called? Um, no, because no, yeah. it's, um, that's not decided on, okay. um, uh, yeah, no, but the, the old EP, um, uh, has a name. It's named after, um, uh, the song, w- which we're, you know, you said we're going to have maybe four songs, uh, of it and that's number five, the one that's okay. going to be left out. Tell me about your writing process then. Where do you, where do you begin? Do you start with the lyrics? No, um, it always starts with the music for me. And um, as I say, I'm, I, I find it a lot harder with the lyrics. And um, um, the, it's always about um, the song, first of all. Mostly it's, it starts on the guitar. And, um, uh, and I'll soon notice, is this going anywhere? And then I'll try and work on it and um, uh, find another part, you know. And um, I, if it works, it has to work pretty soon within a certain a short period of time otherwise it's just one another one of those ideas that never went anywhere um so it always starts with music and i try and put energy into it then and um then i mostly have a certain shape and i think okay this is going to be verse this is chorus this might be the bridge and i think i want to end it this way and then i already start thinking well the drummer he might be able to do something like that or something uh and maybe our other guitars could do this and um, hmm, um this is where i wanted to go and this is what i'd like it to sound like maybe and so on and uh, and then uh the uh, 
the part comes where I have to try uh, and think of lyrics. And that's uh, how I go about it. Um, first of all, I just try and find melodies and just sing bullshit, first of all, till I have the melody in my mind that sort of fits it. And then I try and put words into it. And then um, that's the crucial point then. Does anything start materializing into a kind of story? Because for me, songs are stories. And um, that's the crucial point. And often that's where it dies <laughs> because I just, for the life of me, can't, find a story to tell and then mm. I, after a while I say yeah uh, sorry guys um, still no lyrics for this one okay <laughs> let's move on to the next one and mostly the songs that did work out um, there it's a, just sort of happened um, um, yeah with a with a bit of magic that you're sitting there and you think this is what it is and I like those words and I like that line and I think I'm going to make it about this and, and I'll give it this edge and then after a while you step back and you say oh, that line sounds a bit awkward and um, or it sounds cheesy like in that song I mentioned earlier long. I no I don't want this in it I have to have this in it and then you carve it out of the stone and then you think this is something I would actually not be ashamed of getting up on a stage and uh, playing it and singing it, uh, this is what I want it to be, you know. And um, in the end, when it's supposed to be, um, uh, ha music has to have a little bit of magic. So um, um, especially when you're a singer-songwriter, which to some extent I am, uh, you want to stand there and you want to, um, uh, it has to have some kind of magic and you want to be able to have a story to tell and not just um, a couple of lines that do rhyme every now and again. It has to be some kind of story. And if I find that, then I'm happy. And if not, um, I give up. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think the hardest thing for me is to simplify what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Because I can throw out like, that might be the thing though. I thought about this, that when I'm writing, it's so expressionist and all over the place. And I write vertically. I don't write horizontally. Mm -hmm. Horizontal would be like, I went in the shop and there was a gun and mm -hmm. he shot the gun and mm -hmm. I fell over. Yep. Vertically would be like, I went in the shop, the shop was green. There was a woman at the door. Yeah. She had brace. you know, like I mm -hmm. described the, yeah. mm -hmm. I stopped time in yeah. the story. But then I thought maybe that's what I'm supposed to do mm. when I write because no. that's how I write best. Mm -hmm. I write expressionate. Yeah. You know, the, the the music that I've heard from other people is so to the point. Mm -hmm. And especially when I was listening to your songs, I thought there's a very clear story going mm -hmm. on here. You know, I could totally follow it. Mm -hmm. And then I go home and think, now, why can't I write something <laughs> with a clear story? So maybe it's just part of accepting that. You said about dark material as well. Has that always been prevalent in your life, your dark writing? Or I personally find I get a lot more out of dark yeah. than happy, yeah. than light. Yeah. Why the dark material? Um, when I think of it, yes, because I left that out at the beginning, but the first ever song I wrote in my first teenage band was about depression. Um, because um, I have been surrounded in my life with people who suffered from that and uh, still do. And so um, I'm very fortunate myself uh, um, that I am uh, never was affected, but I've um, always been close to people um, who uh, suffered from that. Mm. And uh, so I actually, the first song I wrote as a, the first lyrics I wrote as a 14-year-old um, were um, about what I was trying to understand what depression was. And uh, I think it was called like something like that as well, or Deep Trouble or something like that. But um, And that was already pretty dark to start off um, as a 14-year-old. And um, uh, yes, and then sort of in, our, uh, in that sort of rock band that we had, sort of, hey, we'd like to be in Nirvana, there was a lot of also uh, violence and stuff um, or... Um, um, in, in lyrics it did uh, came up and then later um, um, 
um, yes, there, there. I just um, often uh, couldn't uh, see myself um, uh, adding yet another love song uh, to um, uh, to the list of uh, endless love songs in the world. Sort of because I mean, probably ninety seven percent of all popular music is about love and I, I just didn't want I don't think I have anything to say there mm. um, adding yet another song in in between I do come up with with a song that can maybe uh, pass as a love song but uh, mostly I found myself more attracted to sort of um, uh, dark things like um, early, earlier on we talked about the song Talk Talk and uh, it's also the, the, the narrator in his um, um, uh, despair he starts sort of uh, cutting up his arms um, uh, letting the blood trickle on the ground sort of to sort of prove himself that that, that is real and um, uh, things like that sort of um, come up and then in other songs it has been um, uh, yeah I also um, um, I, I don't know I somehow feel attracted um, uh, to to things and, and we have a song I think um, um, you might have heard it as well when we played in the pony bar um, it's about a woman that uh, is mistreated in a relationship battered and gets her nose broken and kicked mm. in the in the belly while she's pregnant and so on and it turns into into this kind of yeah not a revenge song but sort of I'm going to end this uh, uh, she walks out and she buys a gun and um, um, and then it's it's pretty um, it's pretty violent um, uh, but I f just feel more attracted to stories like that because I just think it's more relevant than mm. talking about sort of I like the flowers I like the yeah, daffodils yeah, yeah. yeah I definitely um resonate with telling stories that are that make you think rather than floating you in a fantasy of the world you live in it's yeah. better to kind of tell it as it is yeah. like i'm more of a realist when i write mm -hmm. but i'm not i'm an optimist in right. real life you know so my i too my, yeah, my <laughs> songs are always like so much darker than it one of my favorite songs i ever wrote when i was in australia um was called the boy in the wave and um I uh, I it just kind of flowed. It just kind of came out. I was going to the beach all the time, mm. and I was quite I was quite lonely. And the song I decided really wasn't coming from me. Mm. It was a character, and I write best when I write characters. And it's about a boy who decides he's going to kill himself, mm -hmm. and he says goodbye to his wife, mm -hmm. and he walks through the street in the mm -hmm. night and sort of reminisces about the, the town he grew up in. Mm -hmm. Then he goes to the beach and I always have like this image in my head of what the beach looked like. Yeah. And the image always comes back to me when I sing. And it's mm -hmm. kind of like singing these songs that I've written years ago mm -hmm. are like rooms mm -hmm. that when I sing them, I'm in the room. Yeah. And I can complete, I can remember exactly where I was when I wrote it, what emotion yeah. I felt. And that comes out. I believe that comes out. Yeah. And he ends up drowning himself, but mm -hmm. it, it comes across like he becomes the waves, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. he turns into the ocean. And that's, a room I would love to see immediately. And it's just far more attractive to me than right. sort of boy meets girl um, yeah. come along. <laughs> I just, this room? I yeah. really like to hear that song. I'm yeah. really, uh, because, uh, yeah, it's, it's far more, you have the feeling that it's more relevant. Right. Um, yeah. I always thought if I had made an album, I would have the beach with each song kind of as an image on mm -hmm. that beach. Yeah. Like there was one song called The Mirror, which is about a man who sees his dead wife in the mm -hmm. mirror of his room. And then he sings to mm -hmm. the listener about his wife. Yeah. And then you find out at the end that she's a ghost. Mm -hmm. 
because she's standing by the mirror and then she's standing in the mirror at the mm-hmm. end and she's singing to the children as they're sleeping mm-hmm. through the mirror. So there would be a mirror on the beach. Then there was another song called Bird, which was about the voice in the head saying, go travel, go travel. Mm-hmm. And I wrote that. That was like, that was definitely about me. You know? <laughs> that was about going to Australia and stuff. And so there'd be like a bird flying over and then there's the boy walking into the water in the distance. Yeah. Like this whole mm-hmm. image came into my head, but the hardest thing for me has been actually making the album. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I don't know, I feel a bit limited in resource and maybe that's my perspective is I'm limiting myself. Yeah. You know, I had this amazing talk with a friend about two weeks ago about my time in Germany and what was, what was I doing here and how to make the most of my time. And I realized that was actually making myself a lot smaller than I was. And I was saying no a lot more and, oh, but there's this issue, there's that issue, but it's all about perspective. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Tell me about the third song, your third choice. Third choice is um, what we um, chose as a, um, as a single um, for this um, uh, EP. And um, it's, uh, it's called Top Heavy. (laughs) <laughs> I think and I've heard this <laughs> I think I've played it as well and um, again um, it uh, I came up with this new song and I think I didn't have lyrics for it sometimes I come to the band uh, or, or the way I go about things um, um, uh, mostly I do write a song on the guitar and then I, when I think oh I like this this could go somewhere I start um, um, recording a kind of a bare, basic a home recording version I have uh, you know I play um, drums to it then um, and I record a bass and maybe some some keys or something like that and I sometimes also uh, I might um, sing nonsense uh, as uh, as vocals first of all I got that idea by the way from a firm, famous um, German singer Herbert Grönemeyer I once saw um, uh, a long uh, video of him talking about also the creative process and so on and he's very the Germans sort of um, as some people think he's too mainstream and so on yeah um, but uh, he's most known for his uh, lyrics which are sort of very deep and very very good and uh, I found it very surprising um, to hear that time from him that he says yeah when, when I'm writing songs first of all um, I just uh, I just sing bullshit into the microphone. In that's, ang- that's what I do. In any language. You know? For example, one of his um, uh, biggest hits in the last years, he, um, he, he was actually singing French. Um, and he had um, he came up with, um, uh, th- I'm talking about his hit Mensch, Human Being. You know? And um, and he just, uh, it has a line um, in it, um, Am Strand des Lebens, at the beach of life. And, uh, and he said uh, that came up, for example, simply because the French words um, plage de vie just mm. came into his mind while he was just uh, trying to find something to sing about. And write. And then it was just, first of all, it was just bullshit that he was mm. singing. And then uh, he makes them into proper uh, lyrics. And, yeah, right. Uh, Starts phonetically. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And uh, so I think to get back to my song, um, I most of the songs, as I say, evolve about sort of dark things and... Um, um, and I presented the song to my band and I, and I ha- didn't have any lyrics for it yet. And um, I think they said, yeah, it sounds great and it sounds so upbeat. So so is this going to be about death again, <laughs> that kind of thing? And one of our band members, I won't say who, sort of said, could you not just once write a song about sort of girls with big tits? <laughs> and I said, um, 
did you really say this now? <laughs> and I said, and I, said I thought, hmm, I could try. <laughs> I sort of could try. But um, this this sounds cheesy. I know it's not going to be cheesy. I'm, I'll have to try and find a way to write a song <laughs> that's not cheesy. And I tried. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I tried, uh, and it ended up being uh, all kinds of uh, things. And it's um, it has many uh, many slants. The song sort of one one uh, um, um, uh, slant that it has is uh, sort of this idea, which comes up as a bit of a chorus. Um, you know, sort of everybody everybody's beautiful, whether you're uh, skinny or fat. It might um, seem strange sometimes, but I think that's the way it is. Uh, there is beauty in everybody, sort of, and it doesn't matter what we look like. But then again, sometimes it is. Uh, some are a cut above the rest, as it says in the in the song as well. And um, um, it, it's also inevitable. So, um, and it's it, it evolves about that a little bit. And but then it gets this sort of uh, how can I get out of the cheesy thing? And uh, it sounds a lot like introspective satire <laughs> you know like you've been tasked with this by one of your bandmates and then mid-writing you're like but i want to make a i want to make a political point here and uh i want to say how beautiful people are i don't want people to then look at my lyrics and think this guy's a dickhead so yeah. everybody's beautiful <laughs> no matter how you look at it So long to understand 
little bit top heavy I'm embarrassing myself Cause I just don't know where to look when she's not Looking straight at me and I am begging for forgiveness And I'd hate to be a sleaze Outside of music, who are you? <sighs> hmm. <laughs> who am I? Yeah. Uh, what do you mean? Music. Shut all the doors in your mind about the music. Because all I've heard from you is about music. Okay. Who, okay. who are you otherwise? Well, okay. Well, um, in some way, yeah, I'm, I'm a family man because um, uh, I have a wife. I have two kids and uh, we were pretty young parents at the age of 25. Is that your, first your Ka- Kelly family to be? No, 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 because there's only two. Yeah. <laughs> it's not 20. That's drums and bass storage. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, uh, she plays piano and he plays drums. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah, in some way I'm, I'm a family man. Um, yeah. Um, what else? That sounds like a song already. <laughs> Fam- like family man. But it could be like he's a family man by day and he's a criminal by night or something. Well, I had I always had this line, and that's why I don't know if it works as a song, um, and I don't know if it's about myself. But I always thought about this line: "I live a boring life, two kids and a wife." <laughs> so I don't know if that sounds attractive. Apologies to the wife if she's listening. <laughs> oh no, no, no! She would she would get that wrong. It's just that kind of perception that I presume some people have as the opposite of something exciting. Um, uh, so oh god, he's so settled. He doesn't even travel. Hmm. Have you ever then used your music as a getaway? Yes, yes. I presume. Um, I have because, and that's where the 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 dark um, lyrics maybe come in. As I say, when when I started off as a teenager, um, putting writing your first song about depression, that is also it's a getaway. It's a, it's channeling um, emotion and trying to um, understand what's happening um, to somebody else in this case. And um, yes, I have used it in a getaway. For example. Um, uh, yeah, in my um, uh, daytime job, I have uh, I, I have a total different thing. Uh, I don't uh, work in the music industry. I'm a judge, and uh, part of what I do is um, uh, custodial law in uh, with, with grown-ups who have um, psychiatric diseases like demented people, but also people who are schizophrenics, people who are trying to kill themselves because they're suicidal and depressive and so on. 
and or sometimes it's also just about people who had a traffic accident and uh, they're in a coma and uh, they need a legal guardian you know often it's the wife or the husband um or something like that but that's uh, something that that i decide upon then and uh yeah in that job it's some it's often very tough because um this uh, part of it uh, often um, the, the legal framework comes in on the last steps of life you know for example there is a car crash and somebody like a man of my age you know, suddenly he's in a coma in a hospital and the hospital says mm, look um somebody needs to decide about who's going to turn the machines off Mm. Yeah, and um, then you talk to relatives, and they're crying on the phone, and or you meet them. You go to hospital, and you walk through the ward, and you look left and right, and you see people who are sort of um, awake and moving, but uh, they cannot be contacted. They're in a in a uh, in a coma, and um, uh, that's pretty creepy. Or you have to dress yourself up because um, um, <clears throat> the patient has an infection, and you're you know you have your uh, head masked and you've uh, have an apron around yourself and um uh, the life support machines are there and so on it it, it is um uh, something which is um um uh, yeah uh, it makes you think um this can be over any second as well you know i could be uh, on my way to work on my bike as i always are and i could just be knocked over and that's it hmm. you know? or if i'm unlucky that's it in 20 years because I end up on one of those wards in a coma and uh, do I want this? <laughs> Would you want that for yourself? All those things. And um, from situations like that, um, which I can deal with in a professional um, uh, way where I have the distance um, not to, you know, break out in tears or crying uh, because it's so tragic or something like that. Um, I, I can um, I can deal with that in that way. But then sometimes you do notice afterwards you come home and in the evening, yeah, for example, talking to my wife, I think, Jesus, you won't believe what I, um, what I saw today, that kind of thing. And some things that I have experienced there, very sort of mortal and um, uh, tragic things, they have made uh, their ways into songs. Like, for example, we... I have this song uh, that I uh, wrote about one of those experiences it's called Coma and it's about that kind of thing um, And uh, but then it does evolve about the things like um, you know, what does it mean as a relative you know, to, to stand uh, beside somebody's bed and he doesn't you can't contact him anymore but you can hold his hand and you think is he reacting to this and so on those are things that I've also experienced uh, sort of in my um, uh, w with a friend um, um, who was in that state, uh, for example, and um, things like that make me uh, think far more about um, um, songs and put, turning things like that into a song. Um, yeah, as I say, it's, um, uh, obviously it is a kind of escape uh, to try and um, make head and tail of it, um, uh, things that you experience where you think this is uh, really, this is really tough. Mm. And that flows into your songwriting. Do you, are you aware that people may hear that and think, hang on, that's that judge that just came and visit. He's just written a song about my wife. <laughs> Has that ever occurred to you? No, no, because I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't You don't do go, it. here's my card. <laughs> Proofreading your mind. We're playing on Tuesday. <laughs> You know, don't I? See you in the courtroom. No, I, I wouldn't do that because I, of course, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it uh, bluntly, and I wouldn't do it one yeah, on right. one. It's uh, 
um, often it's uh, it's a mixture of experiences that I made. I wouldn't just um, translate uh, something that I experienced uh, right into a song. No, it's just sort of. Uh, it might be an occasion or an image I have in my head or something, um, um, uh, or sometimes it's just sort of uh, a, a bunch of experiences. Oh, for example, I, we, all, we also have a, uh, a song where it's about somebody who's, yeah, probably more uh, schizophrenic or something like that, and this voice is in, in the head. And uh, if, you've, um, uh, if you haven't experienced people who are like that, um, uh, it sounds like a cheap uh, movie, like when you're watching it, a cheap movie and you think, oh, okay, this is sort of very textbooky. He's hearing voices and mm. multiple personalities and all those things. But if you actually have uh, regularly been in conversations with people um, who are telling you, for example, and this is what I've experienced, I, I ran into a patient then once and he said he came up with the idea of U2 with the band name and he was trying to convince me that uh, Bono was actually um, a German uh, called something else like Peter or something like that and he knew him and he had told him about the band name as well because uh, the subway lines in Hamburg uh, there is one U2 because they're lumber yeah, of course. one, two, three, <laughs> four <laughs> yeah. and he said yeah, this is actually my idea and at the same time he was trying to tell me that Chopin the classical composer that he also had sort of uh, written songs through him and through the generations and through the graves and so on and he's looking at you and his eyes are like of course. this and he's uh, absolutely convinced this is the reality in this moment and uh, I was telling somebody um uh, yeah, once I was mistaken in a psychiatric ward um, that I was God. Right. A woman walked up to me and uh, said, oh, I recognize you. And I said, uh-huh. And we shook hands sort of just casually and, you are God. And I sort of said, no, I think he has long hair. And you can't see me now, but I have very little hair. And <laughs> the little hair that I have is short. But she said, no, uh, you are God. You have to help me. I want to try and change my life. I took drugs and I um, whored around and you have to change my, help me change my life. And I sort of, um, it was tragic in one way. Did you take that as an opportunity to go with it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, but as I say, it was tragic in one way. Uh, I was wearing a white shirt and a white tie because that's what I do then sometimes. Mm. And uh, she probably just was in a, in a kind of a haze with her medication. And mm. she, she sees this young man walking along the ward uh, and everything's sort of white in front of her. And she thinks, <laughs> this is the Lord. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. Wow. Tell me about your last choice of song. Yes, the fourth song <clears throat> is uh, called um, You Could Do Better Than That. And um, it uh, deals, or the story in the song is, um, is, it's about a boxer and his trainer. And um, I absolutely love boxing. Um, you too? Yeah. Let's talk about that afterwards. You we have to. We you, have tell to. Me, you tell me okay. about this first. I'm mad about boxing. I don't know, for the last 20 years, I get up in the middle of the night and watch fights from uh, sort of Las Vegas at four and five o'clock in the morning. And um, I'm just, uh, nothing else gives me the thrill. Um, I just... Um, Seeing uh, two grown men punching yes. the shit out of each other. Yes, and... Um, um, 
No, and um, I always what I always found most remarkable uh, watching uh, these are the breaks in between, and then these especially heavyweights, you know, and the trainer gets in the in the, mm. in the ring, and uh, it's so sweet the way they they talk to them, you know, and they uh, slap them in the face and saying, "Hey, man." You could do better than this. What the fuck are you doing? Are you trying to be killed here? You better be moving on your feet and that kind of thing. And this relationship between uh, the boxer and the trainer, mm. um, it's um, uh, that's what this song about is about. And and it starts off, you know, to see somebody on his knees on the verge of sort of giving up, and somebody comes along and says, "You can do better this, than this." And uh, uh, and uh, yeah, and sort of in the final um, uh, verse, it is uh, sort of I believe in you. I still believe in you. So uh, just don't give a fuck about what everybody says. Just get up and get in the ring. You know. Oh, and, the song is the point of view of the coach. Um, yeah, it's basically the coach talking to the boxer. Mm. You know, and um, and that's uh, that song. And um, it's you'll hear it. Um, it has a little bit of a kind of a. I always introduce this, uh, we're going to play a cowboy song now because it has a little bit of a country touch in it. And um, uh, it starts off with uh, a banjo. Um, and my next door neighbor, and he's a friend, um, he plays, um, he's a German, but he's mad into Irish and Scottish mu folk music. And every Sunday he goes to the Irish pub here and he plays banjo and mandolin and bazooki and these kind of things. And I got him to uh, play the banjo and the mandolin on this um, uh, song because it, I sort of felt that it um, feels appropriate. And um, yeah. Um, yeah. Irish music and boxing seem to share a passionate fire. You know, like, have you ever seen the Sherlock Holmes clip where he's he's bare knuckle fighting and they've got the High Kings no. in the background? No. You know, the, in the merry month of June, oh, he was broken hearted. And he's like, oh, I've got to throw my left and then my right. And, and the music together is, there's like a, that's the music I would listen to mm -hmm. if I was boxing. Okay. I would want to hear some, some Irish, ah, I just keep thinking of the word fire, but like, Irish uh, vibe, yeah, just the mm -hmm. energy, uh -huh. the energy of an Irish pub mm -hmm. gets me riled up. Like we, <laughs> me and Jules were in, um, we were in uh, uh, Dublin, uh -huh. I think it was late last year and or early last year, and we went into this bar. I can't remember what it was called, Globe Char, uh -huh. maybe. I don't. Know. And there was this. It was packed, and at one end there was about fifteen musicians just playing this circular rhythm mm -hmm. with each other just all having a laugh and I, yeah. I just wanted to I just yeah. wanted to yeah. fight I just wanted <laughs> to like throw a bottle or something you know there's just such a a positive energy about yeah. it what's positive about throwing a bottle oh not the bottle <laughs> no 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 it wasn't that but yeah um you told me about your sorry because no in, we're in, going... in in the in the first song i introduced that's um uh, um, uh, one of the, one the, of the lies, uh, one of the lines is um, while I was waving a rainbow flag, she was throwing bottles and stones. That's why I find it funny that you come up with this now a little bit later. Okay, I <laughs> you're separating yourself from the violence in your own song yes. about violence. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do 
better than that It's so painful to see What a shame to me To see you on your knees You could be braver than that I say you could be braver than that It's amazing to see A braver man can be When he gets back on his
would you say the music is your processing? Yes, yes, because um, sometimes um, little uh, encounters in real life sort of um, turn into what it actually means then to to uh, stand on a stage at, a, at the end of the process when the song is long finished and you're playing it maybe for the first time or for the 20th time, um, that you want to stand there and want to make a statement that's relative, uh, that, that, that there is a point about this. It's not only sort of, it's not just rhyme and this is a nice melody but you actually there's a story and you're you're convinced you know i don't know the way well, how you feel when you're when you're um, performing a song that actually means something to you um, where it's important um um uh, you know you can get uptight uh, that's i that's the way i am sometimes i'm um you know sometimes you can be close to tears yourself and you have to just say oh, i'm not going to cry on stage now i just have to <laughs> i have to um, get myself together but uh, sometimes that is because what you're singing about um, has a relevance and um, uh, it's a tough one maybe and um, but that also um, um, yeah when I, when I see people like Glenn Hansard uh, whom we mentioned earlier on from um, uh, when he has these these songs where he goes way out with his voice and you just think you close your eyes and think wow this is just coming right from his soul from the bottom of the soul mm. and it's going straight out into my soul the mm. way in and out sort of um, um, that's the kind of connection that of course you'd, I'd love to make um, uh, um, and the only thing I can do is I can try and sort of dip into my own soul and get it out whether it goes into somebody else's soul uh, it's beyond my power sort of you know? but I have the feeling that I have to get it out anyway mm. and of course, you always, as a musician, I think you always have the hope that it does res resonate with somebody. And um, um, yeah, and of course, it's nice then when somebody comes up and says, hey, that third song you played, wow, that was really nice or something like that. You know, I've always achieved that in some way when I've dug too close to myself. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like a risk sometimes. Yeah. But I don't want to go on stage with an ego. Yeah. I want to remove that and be a messenger in a mm -hmm. way and be like, I'm just going to sing a song. If it hits someone, it yeah. does. I'm not going to go in there and be like, okay, watch me cry a tear. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know, because it, I don't know, it turns the, makes the performance about me. It's not yeah. about me. Mm -hmm. When I write a good song, it's often about something which I'm trying to um, associate to find find a relevance in or an answer to and then someone will come up to me and be like oh that reminded me of blah 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 mm -hmm. i remember singing one song and this guy told me it reminded him of his dead brother mm -hmm. and i had absolutely no connection in the song to yeah. that and mm -hmm. it, it was completely the story to me was different mm -hmm. but that's the nice thing about it is it's always going to have a different meaning for different people you know mm -hmm. i was going to ask you uh I think we're sort of winding down here, but mm -hmm. can you tell me a little bit about your EP when it's coming out, where people can find you online? Well, um, the one that we haven't published yet, that's just in the making and from the... 2025? <laughs> <laughs> from the making of the last one, which is available on Spotify and uh, everywhere um, for streaming and digital download. Um, as I say, it's called Not Even Trying and... Um, uh, from the making of that, I just know it's impossible if you're not doing this professionally to say uh, it's going to be out on June the 30th um, because 
I worked so bloody long um, uh, recording that stuff uh, and I started off doing it with others and um, um, because I thought, yeah, we're going to do it properly and um, I wasn't happy with the others. Uh, they were students and um, to make a long story short, it was terrible and I said, fuck this and I'm not going to a studio pending, spending thousands of euros or something like that and I have been recording all along and I like the DIY approach you know mm. and uh, for example you mentioned uh, Justin Vernon and there's a lot of snobbery in music you know ah, you need this new Neumann microphone it costs one and a half thousand euros but yeah you can't really record vocals without it you know and I always um, uh, was on a budget um, uh, and I started buying like that mic <laughs> 100 euros second hand off ebay and i said let's take it from here let's use what i have and bonnie Vere wrote his um big uh, uh, album um that time using one microphone mm. one for everything sure sm57 the standard microphone for electric guitars on stages worldwide um and uh, if you sang into it um uh, you know all the music snobs go yeah yeah but it's not a vocal mic you have to take the sm58 for that no uh, justin vernon had this one mic and he used it for everything and um the album sounds a bit rough yes uh, you can feel that DIY mm. thing there, uh, but I just remember when I listened to it for the first time, my uh, my cousin uh, Mark Liam came up with it. I didn't know about it um, to then, and I just listened to it. And I thought, wow, this is something else, and this is absolutely amazing. And when I later then found out, he just did it himself in that famous wood cabin uh, with that one bloody microphone. That's when I said, well. Um, uh, I like that approach. It doesn't have to be, uh, not everything has to be state of the art. You mm. can just start from scratch and just, you know, a computer and a microphone. And then after a while, of course, yeah, you um, you buy another microphone and maybe uh, um, uh, and this and that and so on. So I have uh, um, started that. And then anyway, um, with that first EP, I decided at some stage, I, I thought I wouldn't be able to do it, but I'm going to record or drums because drums are always the thing. You basically need a, a hell of a lot of um, mics to do that. And I always thought, no, that's beyond. I don't have that. And then I decided I, I'm going to do it. And I used a shortcut um, technically and basically recorded them like um, the Led Zeppelin um, uh uh, drums were recorded um, it's not uh, one mic per drum yeah so you, you end up using eight to ten or 15 or whatever with room mics and so on it's but it's basically a four-way setup um, named after their sound engineer um, this is a bit nerdy talk now I'll keep it short uh, Glenn Jones he was called and he, there's this Glenn Jones recording technique where you uh, can record uh, a drum set um, with four microphones only okay. and it actually sounds good that's what i think anyway and once i've had my head around this i can do this myself i did it myself and it just took another long long time so to get back to the question when is this ep number two coming up as i bloody well hope in 2020 but i'm not making any promises not to myself or to others where can people find you online um, we're um, mainly on uh, Facebook know, um, with uh, Proofreading Mind and on Instagram. And of course, we are on um, Spotify as well. That's We don't have a web page because um, uh, we found this uh, thing with Facebook and Instagram uh, sufficient so far. And I sort of um, um, have the feeling that that um, still is okay. At some stage, I might 
um, do it, but it's not on my priority list. Well, Oshin, thank you so much for uh, being a guest here on Under the Spotlight, and I'm looking forward to hearing more from you. Yeah, thank you very much. It was a great pleasure uh, to talk to you. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode. It's the penultimate episode in the season, as I'll be taking a break next month to focus on other projects. I hope to be returning to Under the Spotlight around summer, but till then I'll catch you for the next episode, the last episode in the season next month. Ciao!